Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is so great to see you on what feels like a, a springtime day outside. It is so nice. Can we just thank the Lord for sunshine and a little bit more warmth than what we've had here in recent days? Uh, and uh, let me just say, my friend Dr. Titsi is just such a great lady, and I am so thankful to be part of the New Hope Church family with her. And, uh, and I do want to put an exclamation point on what she said. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to have a great time and want to invite you to come. If uh, uh, Don't be shy about wearing, wearing an African shirt or, or a dress if you happen to have such. And if you don't, there's some places right down here in Crystal where you can get those things. And I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to have a great time uh, on, that, uh, on that day of celebration. And uh, let me just mention uh, also to you that, uh, and I'll say this again here toward the end of our service, tomorrow night, We've got our monthly prayer gathering. A number of us just very informally been gathering in here uh, for several months. It, it really just evolved very organically. And we're just crying out to God for his spirit to just do amazing work here in our community. And uh, everyone is welcome. You're welcome to come. It's at 6.30. It is a, uh, a, an intimate but uh, easy, safe time to just come and pray and cry out to God. So I want to have you uh, be mindful of that. Um, listen, I know that uh, there's been a lot going on in our world here these days. And if you're like me, your heart is just seared by the earthquake in uh, uh, eastern Turkey, western Syria. So I'm going to pray about that here in just a moment. Also for our own church family. And I want to ask you to join me in that. Let's pray right now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so very much that you are the God of all power. Thank you, God of heaven, that we do get to cry out to you, and you never turn a deaf ear our way. Thank you for your only begotten Son, our great and glorious Savior, Jesus. We want to honor him in everything. We want to be conformed to his very image, to be like him, and to love like him, to lead like him, to live like him, and to tell his story wherever we go. We ask that through the power of your spirit, you would help us to do that. God, we ask that you would take care of our church family, that you would meet the needs in our midst, that uh, all of us uh, households would find your favor, your blessing, your protection, your joy to be ours. And that, Father, as uh, we find ourselves, uh, whether uh, here in our church or in whatever sector we live in, if we find ourselves in transition, that you would be merciful and good. Together we pray, God, for uh, the people in eastern Turkey and there along the border with Syria. We are heartbroken as we see, even this morning, are now over 34,000 deaths, God, and we know there are many more. And we just plead with you, God, to be merciful. And we ask, God of heaven, if there is a tangible thing about which we can do, you will direct our steps and help us to connect. Lord, please, please, please be merciful and gracious. Father God, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would instruct us, give us your word, and help us go, to grow closer to Jesus and to trust you and to step out in faith. God, help us, we pray. Anoint us now with your power. We thank you for this love letter called the Bible. Meet us now, we ask, in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, how many of you love to get stuck somewhere? Isn't that just a great feeling? 
You know, you're stuck, you're trapped, you're just maybe paralyzed in some kind of context, right? It's awful. It's awful. Some years back, Krista, my dear Krista and our girls were in her, in her car. She had a Buick Rendezvous, right? This is the ultimate mom mobile. So she's, she's, uh, she and the girls are driving across a, a, a snow-covered street. Now, can you imagine that in our community, right? They're driving across a snow-covered street. They go up this little rise toward these railroad tracks. And as they're going over the tracks, the wheels of her Buick Rendezvous fall right into what is a perfectly designed uh, rut carved into the ice going along the track. And the car just drops right into the rut and sits there right on the tracks. And she's gunning the engine and the wheels are spinning and the car will not move. It's going nowhere. And, uh, of course, she and the girls are getting a little anxious, and they realize they're on railroad tracks. And guess what? Yes, no way. Yes way. A train is coming. Right? They look off to the east, and there's a little light. You know, sometimes we say there's light at the end of the, light at the, end of the tunnel, as long as it's not an, uncoming, uh, 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 an oncoming train. They're looking to the east, and there's a train. And Krista yells. Excuse me. Moms don't yell, right? Krista Krista commands the girls to get out, and, and uh, she gets out. Actually, she has my oldest daughter get in the front seat there at the steering wheel. I'm thinking, has she wondered about that throughout the years? Looking back, Mom, you had me right there. She puts our oldest daughter there at the steering wheel, puts it in neutral. She and our youngest daughter go, and they're leaning in the back. And you know cars are backing up, honking their horns, because my wife is on the tracks and won't move. I mean, Really? And, and people are getting impatient, and they're looking at her straining at the car. And finally, as the train is coming, finally some people further back get out, and they run up to the front, and they join in, and they start pushing the car. And they get the car out of the ruts, down the track. My daughter takes it down the slope, puts it to a stop, and then seconds later, the train goes by. I mean, this is horrifying. I hear this story later in the day, and I mean, I, I, I'm still triggered by it all these years later. And, uh, I mean, what, what a nightmare scenario could have unfolded, right? Thank you, Lord. That's exactly right, my friend. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We hate being stuck, don't we? It is the most uncomfortable feeling, this sensation that is fearful. Uh, it, is, it is awful, right? And sometimes we find ourselves stuck in snow and ice, Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in some relational drama, relational crisis. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in indecision. We don't know what to do. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in this place of shame and fear. Remember last weekend when we talk about Adam and Eve and, and in their great rebellion, they're, they're now terrified and they're filled with shame and they run and they hide behind the trees. Remember this? They're in the garden. Sometimes we... We, find, we put ourselves there and we get stuck in that spot and we just shut down. To be stuck is to be paralyzed. It's to be trapped. It's to feel like maybe we don't have any options. It is to intuit that we don't know what to do. And that's even if we're thinking that far ahead. Sometimes we're so stuck we're not even thinking about what to do. We just simply are stuck. And I want you to hear I want you to hear some uh, words about these things here. So British, British psychologist and, 
and business consultant, Elira Flo, she's got, she's got four ideas at least about why we get stuck sometimes. And I want you to see these. You'll see them on the screen wherever you are. If you're on, uh, in our online community, welcome. It's great to connect with you. I'm so glad to be here with you today. And for those of you who are right here, you'll see it on the screen. Here's the first one. This is what, what uh, Elira Flo has said. Here's number one. All right. One of the reasons we get stuck is because we don't have an imagination for the possibilities and for the, the, uh, the perspective, right? We don't know what is to come, and so we shut down. We, we get fearful because we don't have an imagination of what the future might hold. So that's one thing, all right? Number two, a second thing that Alira Flo says about, about being stuck about being trapped, about being paralyzed. You'll see it right here. Being stuck secretly serves you. And we think, how in the world might that be? Except if we imagine for a moment that, that you know, uh, it's really comfortable just being right here. This is at least familiar territory, so I'm just going to stay right here stuck. It, it at least is what I know, right? Okay, a third thing all right, a third thing that Lyra Flo tells us is this. Contradictory beliefs are a reason that we might be stuck. Contradictory beliefs. Here's an example. So an example might be if, uh, if I desire intimacy, but I demand independence. Well, those things kind of contradict each other a little bit. And that might be a reason why we just shut down, we get paralyzed, we get stuck, because on one hand we want this, on the other hand we need that, and we don't know what else to do. A fourth reason that we might get stuck, look what Alira Flo has to say, not knowing yourself. Sometimes we just don't know who we are, how God made us, what his purposes might be for our lives. We don't have a sense of it, a, a sense of purpose, a sense of understanding. We maybe haven't built up the muscle memory of instinct that God gives us. And so we just, we're just stuck, right? Now, any of, any of those relate, all right? Do you see yourself in any of those? I'll tell you straight up. I look at that first one about the issue of possibilities and perspectives, and I, I see myself in that clearly. I find that there are times when out of uh, fear or perhaps out of a lack of imagination, I can't appreciate what God might do next, and so therefore, I shut down, all right? And every one of us, if we think about it, we have these kinds of things in our lives that, that get us on the proverbial railroad tracks, and we just, we're just stuck there, spinning our wheels, and we're, we're unsure what to do. Uh, to be stuck is, oh, you know, you know the old cliche. It is to be between the rock and the hard place. Let me tell you something, friends. Listen, please hear me. The God of heaven and earth, who fearfully and wonderfully made us, does not want us to be a people that lived paralyzed and stuck and trapped. He does not want us to be a people that are just shut down and stranded on the tracks as the trains are coming and we're going nowhere, all right? Do you hear this? And because this is so, God has a word for you and he's got a word for me. He's got a vision that he wants us to take hold of, something that allows us 
to uh, receive his better purposes beyond just simply being stuck. And so it is we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a frame to receive what he would give in this regard. Now, these weeks right now find us exploring questions that God asks. Last weekend, you'll recall, we were in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve had raised their fist against God. God is so good, and he had provided for them so amazingly. And now they're raising their fist against God. They rebel against him, and then they run and hide there in the woods And God, it says, walks in the cool of the day and he's looking for them amongst the trees of the garden and he's asking a simple question. Remember it? Where are you? Where are you? We we celebrated that question because what he didn't ask was, what are you thinking? How dare you? He didn't ask those things. He wanted to know where they are. Remember, the people are more important than the problem in the eyes of God. Right? Praise God is exactly right. Well, now we're looking at some different questions, yet another one. And to do that, we are moving through the historical narrative of the Bible from the Garden of Eden up into uh, the desert areas just outside of Egypt. Now we are in Exodus chapter 14. And here we see the great man Moses and God's people, the Hebrew people, And by God's power and by God's authority, through Moses, the people have been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. God has moved them out of the land of Egypt, and they are on their way to the land of promise. And for a little stretch of time, they have some security, a little bit of grace, hope. And they're making their way out, and they're rejoicing abundantly. Wow, the great anticipated day has arrived. But then, now hear me. But then, according to Exodus chapter 14, things turn sideways. Verse 9 puts it this way. Listen to what we read here. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And notice these haunting words. And overtook the Israelites encamped by the sea. Now friends, this is terrifying. God had delivered his people from their slavery. Now they're making their way to what will be a future home of joy and shalom but as they are on their way suddenly they look back and in the distance they see dust on the horizon kicked up by the chariots and the horses of pharaoh's army and they're looking in front of them and what do they see the red sea so they're not between the rock and the hard place they're now between an approaching army and a vast sea And the fear, my goodness, the terror. I mean, whether we are on the railroad tracks of life and a train is bearing down, 
Or when we look behind us and an army is coming our way, when suddenly you find yourself stuck, stranded, straddling the tracks, nowhere to go it seems, that is a very unsettling sensation. And we all know this. We have this in our relationships. We have this in our workspaces. We have this kids at school, don't we? We have this as we think about our education. We have this as we think about our spiritual life. How often am I thinking about, here's where I need to go, and here are the threats that are approaching me, and here I am in the middle shutting down. And the people were terrified, and we see this. I want you to get a sense of how fearful they were. Listen to these words, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 and following. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now notice what they said here. Notice this, friends. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now, understand, hours earlier, they were thrilled. They were so excited, the celebration, we're free. But now, now they're saying, we would have been better off dying back in the land of Egypt than here. Why have you brought us out to this place? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. My goodness. And I will tell you, there are days, friends, in my own world where pressures are so great, this, my, my spiritual uh, makeup is so just scattered and tattered because of weariness and shame and fear that I, I enter into the sentiments of the Hebrew people here where I say, God of heaven, honestly, it'd be better if I could just die. Can we just go back to where we were? Because that was, to Lear Flo's comment, that was more comfortable, it was familiar. That served me better, right? Do we have those sensations in our lives, do we, right? For sure we do. For sure we do. Whether the threats are real or perceived, the Israelites completely shut down, and we do too at times. And at that very moment, here's how we, here's how we function. We start expecting, listen to me, we expect the worst of everything around us. We tend to be moved toward greater anxiety, and we even are accusing those around us. Like you have the Hebrew people here, Moses, how dare you? Or remember last weekend, again, back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, and here now, they're hiding in the trees and, and God walks in the cool of the day and he steps behind the trees because remember, he owns the front of the trees and behind the trees, right? We talked about that last weekend. And there's, there's Adam, where are you? And they have this conversation and in the context of the conversation, as they're bantering back and forth about what has unfolded, what does Adam do? In his shame, in his fear, and feeling stuck right there in the garden, what does he do? Well, it's that woman you gave me. 
right? And twice in that one sentence, he accuses the woman and then you who gave her to me. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. All right, it goes like this. It's just very straightforward. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 says this. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. The woman that you, dot, 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 accusation. And that's what the Hebrew people are doing right now uh, in, in Exodus 14. As, as they're not between a rock and a hard place, but they're between an army and an ocean. And they're terrified and their seemingly natural response is, you're the one that created this mess. It'd be better if we would die. How many of you do that? Yeah, I hear that. Oh, yeah. How many of us do that? Where we're stuck, we're trapped, we're seemingly paralyzed, and our instinct is to blame everybody around us. And even God, God you ultimately are the problem here. Oh my goodness, friends. I'm telling you straight up, this is Matthew St. John 101 right here. My tendency to default toward blame, playing the victim when I'm trapped on the railroad tracks of life and I can't seem to get my car going, right? When I look behind me and an army is approaching, I look in front of me and there's a great obstacle and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Lord, it's your fault. You're not pulling your weight. Lord, you're not seeing me. You're not being faithful. These are the things I think. How about you? Notice Moses. Now, this is great. It's really beautiful, actually. This is what I call one of the Bible's Braveheart moments. Remember Braveheart? There's William Wallace and he's covered with blue and white paint and he's got the the kilt on, right? And there he is on the fields of, uh, there in Scotland, and he's got all the uh, Scotland tribesmen gathered around, and there on the horizon are all the Englishmen, and it's time for war. And, and uh, William Wallace is walking uh, in front of his troops, and he's rallying them to fight, rallying them to be brave. Well, I want you to notice here in uh, Exodus chapter 14, uh, verses uh, if you look with me, verse 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Now notice the confidence here. He will do this today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Right? Now, I'll tell you, by the way, verse 14 right there is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It has become for me for many years one of those guiding principles. Trust the Lord. He'll take care of it. Trust the Lord. He'll fight for you. Whatever the context might require there. Notice the confidence that Moses has. This is great. And I think, how is it that Moses has this kind of confidence? And at that moment, I realized, because of everything he's experienced, everything he's seen, on this big journey from the moment, for those of you who don't know the story, from the moment that he was years earlier, or sometime earlier, uh, on a mountain there in the Arabian Peninsula, and there's this bush that's on fire, and he goes up and he sees this bush on fire, and God speaks to him. Moses, 
Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And from that moment on, Moses is called to go back to Egypt and lead the people from their slavery to the land of freedom. Right? And Moses saw what God could do every step of the way. The great mighty miracles against Pharaoh and so forth. So Moses has reason to say, we don't need to be afraid. We can trust God. God will do this thing today. And I would say to you a couple observations there, and you'll see these also uh, in front of you, all right? One is, Moses, he had a habit. He had cried out to God and received from God, all right? He had cried out and he'd received. He had said, God, I need you, and he'd received a word from God. In fact, we see it just a few chapters earlier. Exodus chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, but you might think about this with me. Here we have Moses on the front end of confronting Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a nasty character. And the people of Israel are skeptical, wondering who is this Moses that's stirring up all this trouble with our slave drivers? And Moses cries out to God. Verse uh, 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Now notice here, Moses is feeling stuck. So what does he do? He's accusing God. All right? Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you, here's the accusation, have not delivered. How many of you say, God, you haven't delivered? God, you're not delivering like I expected. I came to you in faith. I cried out to you in faith. Here am I, but you're not delivering. Well, a few verses later, Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, here's what we read. God responds, I, will t- I love the patience of God, by the way. He's so gentle, really, truly. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Moses cried out, and he received this promise, right? Okay, great. Well, he also, another observation is besides crying out and receiving a promise, I want you to notice he witnessed what God could do and then he believed. He witnessed what God could do and then he believed. And if you wonder what that might look like, here's what I would invite you to do. Today during the Super Bowl at halftime, read Exodus chapter 7 through 12, okay? Now, if you'd rather watch Rihanna, that's fine. Then just read it in the morning or maybe tonight before you go to bed. But if you want to... Uh, get a sense of the power of God on the move, read the great narrative of God going toe-to-toe, so to speak, with Pharaoh and all the signs and wonders that brought Pharaoh to his knees, okay? Then you'll have a sense of why it is that Moses witnessed what God could do and believed, right? Okay, so here's the thing. Listen to me. Moses, he receives and he believes. Praise God. Good on him. But there's something missing. One thing remains. One thing remains. And we see it in the very next verse. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. Now before I read it, Before you look at it, here's the context. 
Moses has just rallied the people. Trust God. The Egyptians are coming from behind, and in front of Moses is the Red Sea. In front of the people is this great body of water. And Moses is now just standing there. Trust God. So then in verse 15, God says to Moses, here's the question from God, the question God asked, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the people may cross on dry ground. In short, listen to me, friends. Sisters and brothers, hear me. In short, God is saying to Moses, yes, you've received and yes, you've believed. Now it is time to act. Now it is time to step out in faith. Now it is time to move. And this is one of the great crises, I think, of us disciples. We are all into sitting and soaking and absorbing everything that God wants to give us. We receive his word and we develop the muscle memory of belief. The question is, are we ready to step out in faith? The question is, are we ready to then act, to move, to go forward? And Moses at this moment is just standing there. It's like, why are you just standing there stuck? Now, by the way, the question is, why do you cry out to me? I have to say something. Please hear me, friends. The problem is not crying out to God. We just established the joys of Moses crying out to God and God being so patient. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 34, verse 6, he says this of himself. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call unto me, and I will tell you great and wonderful things that you do not know. God wants us to cry out to him. He rejoices in us crying out to him. God, the God whom we serve, he knows how to triumph. And so we can cry out to him, and he welcomes it. The problem is not that Moses has cried out to God. The problem is he's just stuck then, and he's not moving. He's not acting. He's not then stepping out in faith. Now, the question, the question, why are you crying to me? Why do you cry to me? Listen, friends, please hear me. Last weekend when we were together and we're processing the nature of questions, one of the things we said was that among uh, the reasons or the, the goals of questions is to inspire, to challenge. And this is one of those opportunities where the God of heaven is challenging his beloved servant Moses. He is pushing him. He is seeking to inspire him. The question is not a rebuke that Moses would cry out. The question is a challenge. Now that you've cried out, are you going to do something? Are you going to act? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to step out in faith? And this is the needful thing. And if indeed it is so that we can receive from God his promises, we can believe him that he's powerful, 
Why would we not step out in faith? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa offers these words. You'll, you'll see them there uh, in front of you. She says, she says, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. Why would Moses, for all intents and purposes, just sit there? Could it be? Listen to me. Could it be his issue of not knowing the possibilities? Maybe he simply didn't have an imagination for what could actually happen next. Right? He, he, just, he just didn't understand yeah, God is powerful, but is he really? And can he really do something this needful? This even spectacular? Or maybe it's just that he's too comfortable. Well, at least I'm on firm ground. That's water. And yes, there's an enemy coming, but we will fight them on firm ground. Maybe it's just familiar and therefore comfortable and seemingly safe even if an army's bearing down. Maybe he's got these contradictory beliefs. He doesn't know what to do. I have position and I have power, but I'm terrified about taking responsibility. And let me tell you, friends, position and responsibility are two completely different things. Maybe it is, hear me now, maybe it is he just doesn't know himself. He doesn't really fully understand God has called him. At that burning bush, God said, I'm calling you. I'm sending you. And God has told Moses repeatedly, you will lead these people to freedom. So do you believe it or not? Do you have it within you to take hold of that or not? And the question for you and me is similar. Do you have it within you to really believe God can do something to help you step out in faith? Or is it just simply, I don't know, I don't know what God's call is in my life. I don't know what his purposes are. Or I'm actually really comfortable just right here. And, and really, truly, I, I appreciate the opportunity, but I don't want any of the responsibility. And the reality is I can't imagine what he might do for me anyway. Does that describe any of you? For sure, it might. Let me wrap up with three directives, three invitations for you and me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the word act as a bit of an outline, each letter. All right? And you'll, you'll see these in front of you. I, uh, here's the first one. Be available. Be available. That's, that's the letter A, available. Right? And, and I want you to, to hear this. So uh, moving past being stuck starts with being available to a future beyond being stuck. Did you hear that? Moving past being stuck means being available to a future beyond being stuck. Here in a bit, or here a bit ago, we talked about the Garden of Eden. Well, now let's take our attention and look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now the one promised to crush the head of the serpent 
is now in the garden hours away from Calvary's tree. And according to Matthew chapter 26, three different times, Jesus in that garden. Now, let's, let's just, we're there. We're looking at him. All right? And we, according to the gospel uh, history, he is filled with sorrow and despair and fear. We have to understand even our Lord is feeling the weight of these things. One of the gospel accounts says it was so overwhelming that he's literally sweating drops of blood. That's the toll this is taking on his whole person. And you and I might imagine, talk about stuck, talk about shutting down, fear, sorrow, anxiety. And three times, according to Matthew 26, he goes into the deeper part of the garden, and one after the next, he gets down on his face, and he says, God, if you could take this cup from me. But then he says, what? Not my will, but your will be done. That's exactly right. He goes back. He sees his friends. They talk for a minute. He goes back into that deeper part, gets on his face. God, Father, if you could take this from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He goes back. He talks to his friends. He goes back yet again in the deeper part of the garden. Father, if you'll take this from me but not my will, but your will be done. And then he does a most remarkable thing. At that moment, he stands up and he turns and he goes and he moves straight toward his friends and his betrayer and off he goes available to the will of God. All right? But notice, here he was in the crucible. Here he was stuck. Here he was shutting down. But it was a determination through the power of God for the glory of God to be available to God and to stand up for God. And that's what he did. And so, be available. Now, here's the C. This Christ Jesus has power. He has power for you and for me. He's a powerful God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, powerful and that power is for you and me to also enjoy. The Apostle Peter, in his second letter, puts it this way. Listen to these words, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. That is to say, among things you can receive, his power. This Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, betrayed by a friend, Arrested by the authorities, tried by a kangaroo court of religious elitists, tortured, crucified, executed on a cross. Three days later, he rose from that dead. Rose from the dead. He stepped into the bright morning sunshine of Jerusalem alive. That's power. That is power right there, amen? 
And then he ascends into the heavenly places. And right now, as we say regularly, he is at the right hand of his father. And what is he doing there? But he is saying, Abba. Do you see that boy right there? He needs power to act. Will we unleash right now the Holy Spirit to give him what he needs? Abba, do you see that woman right there? She's shutting down. She's afraid. She's been told that she can't. She's been told that you're not dependable. But let us give her the power that raised me from the dead so she can take that first step. This is the beauty of Jesus interceding for his saints, friends, and unleashing resurrection power. The T. The T. Take a step. Take a risk. Step out in faith. You've got that power behind you. Listen to me. The power that means that sin and death and the devil and paralyzing fear no longer have the final word. So take a step. Take a risk. Go out in faith. One of my most treasured verses in all the Bible. I've shared it for years here from this platform. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, where God says this great promise, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Literally, in the Hebrew language it is, don't be looking around helplessly, I'm your God. It's as if he's saying, hey, you, eyes on me, I've got you. And he goes on and he says, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Friends, take a step, take a risk, move, go out in faith, lift up the staff, point it over that water, and go. Go, go, act. Yes, we receive, yes, we believe. Now it's time to move. Step out in faith, boys and girls, and all of us more seasoned in life. Don't stay stuck. Step out in faith. Act. Would you stand with me? Mighty God. We receive your promises. We watch you do mighty things. We believe in this Jesus. But may we not just be stuck there with a mind and a heart filled with information. May we have a heart that is ready to stand and step forward in faith and act. And you know every single one of us. You know our stories. You know the thing that we're stuck in. You know the fear we have about the next step. Whatever our situation is now, oh God, through the power of the Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, move us outward in faith. Help us to stand and go forward. Help us to take what is in front of us. Help us to act in your glorious name and by your power and to not be afraid. Because, oh God, we who follow you follow a God who triumphs. And all God's people said,
Amen.